Good evening, this is Quintus Curtius, and welcome back to the Fortress of the Mind. In this podcast, I want to talk a little bit about staying in your lane and getting outside of your lane. And when I use that phrase, staying in your lane, I'm making a metaphor, obviously, for the mentality that some people have when they want to pigeonhole you and categorize you and force you to conform to the role that they imagine for you. When I say stay in your lane, we can imagine cars driving down the freeway with each car staying in its corresponding little lane of the highway as all the cars move forward. And this in many ways is a good analogy for the the way that many people think. People are going to try to pigeonhole you. People are going to try to categorize you. People are going to try to force you into the role that they think you should conform to. And they do this because it makes them feel better. It makes them feel safe. It makes them feel superior. And the point that I want to make tonight is that you should never let or allow yourself to be defined by others. If you have an interest, if you have a passion, if you have a mission in life, you should pursue that mission. You must pursue that mission, regardless of what others think or say, and regardless of the hate that's going to come your way inevitably. Because when you get outside your lane, you have a way of stepping on people's toes. You have a way of not conforming to the role that you're supposed to play. And that can make some people very, very nervous. That can be very, very threatening to some people. It can be very threatening to some people. Because what it does is is it exposes them for what they are. It forces them to look in the mirror. And it forces them to confront their own mediocrity. So what I want to do in this podcast is to show a few examples of men who refused to stay in their lane. Men who refused to stay in their lane and to show that The phenomenon of the hater, the phenomenon of the critic, of the naysayer, of those who want to tear others down, is an old one. It's been going on for centuries. It's been going on for millennia. Let's start with a famous example. I say famous because the people involved are famous, but not many people may know about this. Everyone knows who Shakespeare is. It's generally conceded that he's probably one of the greatest writers in the English language, if not the greatest. He certainly belongs on the short list of the great writers in English. But what's interesting about Shakespeare is he was a genius who had no formal university training. I'm not going to get into all these controversies about whether Shakespeare wrote or didn't write his plays. I happen to think that he wrote everything that's attributed to him. I don't buy the arguments that he didn't write his plays. I find that the people who believe that tend to to underestimate the power and influence of genius. They fail to appreciate, they fail to understand that ability and genius can crop up in the most unlikely places. It can crop up in the most unlikely places. And there's nothing in Shakespeare's plays that shows a huge amount of erudition. 
There's nothing in his plays that shows a huge amount of university training. What separates Shakespeare, what makes him great, are the insights into human character that his plays give us. The richness of the language, the searing insights, the soaring language. These are the real reasons why Shakespeare is great. And none of these things took formal education. Shakespeare was a man of the country. He didn't come from London originally. And he had to go to the school of hard knocks. He started out, in many ways, uh, in the theater. He, he may have even been an actor, at least in some capacity. And when he took the move into actually writing plays, there were some snobs who didn't like that. There were some snobs who wanted him to stay in his lane, who resented the fact that this upstart, this nobody, who never went to Oxford or Cambridge, how dare this man write plays? And one of these guys was a, was a, a playwright named Robert Greene, a very, very jealous, spiteful contemporary of Shakespeare. And he couldn't stand the fact that a nobody, an unknown like Shakespeare, would have the temerity to write his own plays in blank verse, which was something that was seen as the exclusive provenance of the wealthy elites at that time. And Green didn't like that at all. Green was a dramatist, and he could not understand the popularity of Shakespeare's plays. He thought that, that his work had no lasting value. He thought that he he thought that Shakespeare was not deserving of the praise that he was receiving. So you can imagine Robert Greene as an example of a hater, a four hundred and fifty year old hater, just of the same type that you would find on the internet today, a sniping, spiteful, vindictive prick. And in some ways, we're indebted to him because his reference, one of the first references to Shakespeare that we find was in 1592. And this guy, Robert Greene, made, made a written attack on Shakespeare. He referred to him as a upstart crow, an absolute, uh, a jack of all trades. The term he used was Johannes Factotum, which I guess was slang in those days for a, a jack of all trades. And... He clearly is trying to tear Shakespeare down. He's trying to denigrate him. He's trying to minimize his popularity. And he thinks that Shakespeare should stay in his lane. He should know his station in life and conform to that. How dare he write plays? How dare he intrude on the exclusive domain of the rich, of the wealthy, of the snobs? Only a university-trained person should write plays. And even then, they should conform to a very, very specific classical mold. Shakespeare didn't do any of that. Shakespeare wrote from the heart. He wrote with passion. And that type of passion, that type of sense of mission, would make a hack like Robert Greene very, very uncomfortable. And... It's amazing because who now today remembers Robert Greene? Nobody. Nobody even knows who Robert Greene is, except maybe a few 
specialists in Elizabethan theater. Nobody knows who Robert Greene is. Do you think Shakespeare wasted any time dealing or responding to a hater like Greene? Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But what he did do is he kept on going. He kept on writing. He kept on performing. He kept on investing in the theater. And when he was able to retire, he was able to do so as a very successful man. And he's another guy who had multiple streams of income. Shakespeare didn't make his money, didn't make a lot of money anyway, from uh, his plays. He made his money from investing in the theater. He bought shares in the theater. Now that's maybe not a directly relevant point, but it's something worth mentioning, I think. So my point is, you should never allow other people to define you. You should never allow other people to pigeonhole you or to make you feel bad about pursuing your passions. Because usually those hacks, those elitists like Robert Greene, are chicken shits, are cowards, and are afraid to be who they want to be. They're afraid to do what they want to do. And they resent any intruder, any interloper, who dares to expose them for what they are. Here's another example. You may have heard the actor Ethan Hawke uh, wrote some books a few years back. I haven't read his books, but I know that he is a published author. He's published a few books. And I heard this story when I was taking a, a recent uh, a recent flight. I think I was on Delta Airlines. And you know how you read those airline magazines in the front pocket in front of you, and they had an article about Ethan Hawke. And it talked about the fact that... Uh, Back in the 90s or the early 2000s, he took a little bit of a break from acting. He was interested in doing some writing. So he wrote. He wrote some books. And I guess he encountered a lot of raised eyebrows, a lot of critics, a lot of haters. Oh, you're an actor. How dare you think you can write a book? You know, you have to stay in your lane. You have to do what we want you to do. You're not allowed to explore other passions. You know? Same mentality, same mentality. And I'm sure if you think hard enough, you can find many other examples along the same lines of people who were forced or tempted to be forced into staying in their own lanes. But there are those who have broken out. You know, one of the first great writers in American literature, James Fenmore Cooper, he's a great writer, If you haven't read any of his books, you really should. Uh, He was the author of Last of the Mohicans, uh, The Deerslayer, Pathfinder, a series of books known as the Leatherstocking Tales. And these books are, are very famous in American literature. But not many people know how he got started in writing. Not many people know that. He was a member of the wealthy gentry in the state of New York. And according to the story, around 1820, he was reading a book in his parlor of his house, and he just couldn't take it anymore. He flung it down and said, you know, this book is not good. This is a bad book. This is bad writing. I can do better. I think I can write something better than this. And his wife overheard him and said, well, why don't you? Why don't you try? 
So Fenmore did. Fenmore Cooper did. He did just that. He penned his first novel, which was called Precaution. And it was published in 1820. It was a novel of uh, manners and morals. Not a very good one, but it was a start. And a year later, he wrote a better one called The Spy. And eventually, he, a few years later, he was able to graduate to probably the most famous series of novels in American history, which were the Leatherstocking Tales. And these are great stories. Last of the Mohicans, Pathfinder, Deerslayer. Uh, there's a couple others, and uh, the titles elude me at the moment, but you can look them up if you're really interested. I read most of them when I was a kid. Very, very good books. But the point is, this is a guy who was not a professional writer. He had never had any experience writing professionally, and he just thought it up, and he did it. And he did it because he had a passion to do it. He did it because he felt like the existing product that was out there was inadequate and he thought he could do better and I say this and I use this example because I think this is something you should do if you're not satisfied with the product that you see out there in the marketplace put your own product out there why not it doesn't matter what product it is it doesn't matter it doesn't matter whether it's writing or whether you're selling widgets or lemonade or beef jerky or whatever it is if you think you can do better, try. What have you got to lose? Not very much. Because if you really have passion in a subject and you really know something about that subject, chances are you're going to know more about it than 99% of the other people out there. You're going to know more about it than 99% of the people out there. And you should act on that knowledge. Invest in, make, you know, make an investment decision based on your knowledge. Put your money where your mouth is. Don't be afraid to take the plunge. It's good. It's healthy. It's invigorating. It's life-affirming. It's life-affirming, as we say. And the reason why these stories matter to me, the reason why I bring them up, is because I think in some ways I can relate to them in some small way. And, you know, when I first started writing, I really did so because I felt that there was really nobody else out there writing the kind of books that I wanted to see. There was really nobody out there writing books that used uh, short essays with exemplars from history that dealt with ideas that had an inexplicably inspiring tone to them. And that was what I wanted to produce. And that's what I did produce. And the same thing with my interest in classical scholarship. This was something that I was always interested in. I didn't have any professional university training. I didn't need it. What I did have was an ability to learn languages better than almost anyone else that I knew. And that's a fact. And what I did have was a passion for the subject. That's what I had. And I said, you know, 
these translations that I'm reading, I'm just not feeling them. I don't feel like they capture the spirit of the work in modern contemporary idiom. And I felt like a lot of the works, a lot of the translations that I was reading were written by specialists for other specialists. And they were ignoring the modern man. They were ignoring guys who could benefit from this knowledge. And there is a treasure trove of knowledge there. But nobody was addressing this need. But I saw the need, and I acted on that. I had the passion to do that. I had the conviction to do that. I'm not a specialist writing from, for writing for some professor sitting in a cubicle. I'm a writer writing for the average guy who has no previous knowledge in the subject matter. I am an explainer. I am the great explainer. And I think that's my talent. I think I can explain these concepts. I think I can interpret them in such a way that the average person who is harried, hounded, and harassed by the obligations of daily life, and I can put those concepts in terms that make it meaningful for him. And that's the difference. And that's what I think you should do also. If you have a passion for a certain area, if you have a passion for a certain subject, then you should act on that. You know, I did a podcast many months ago. You can find it in the podcast feed. And I don't remember what the title of the podcast was, but it was an interview with a friend of mine who had started a knife manufacturing company. He had started a knife manufacturing company called Delta 2 Alpha. And I really had a lot of respect for these guys. They reached out to me. I talked to them. We got a friendship going. And the more I found out about these guys, the more I respected them. These were guys who simply loved knives. They loved edged weapons. They had a great interest in security. They had a great interest in um, physical training. And they felt like none of the knives that were out there on the market really were addressing the needs that they felt existed. But they didn't just stop there. They didn't just whine about it. They actually acted on it. They started a company. They started this company, Delta 2 Alpha, and you can find it out there if you Google it. And I think you should. And they're doing very well, and I have a lot of respect for that. How can you not respect that level of conviction? If we could all be that way, the world would be so much better. If we could just set aside our whining and complaining and act on our passions act on our convictions. Because when you do that, you find out just how hard things are. It's one thing to be a critic. It's one thing to be a hater. And there are a lot of haters out there. I'm sure there are haters grinding their teeth, grinding their teeth and gnashing their teeth in fury who are so-called professionals. And they hate to see so-called amateurs intrude on their domain. Because they, especially if they do it better than they can, just like Robert Greene, no one likes to be shown up. No one likes to be exposed for being a do-nothing. But this is the reality. Some of the greatest advances have come from people who are not professionally trained in a certain area. There's nothing wrong with that. 
And you should never let any of that dissuade you. In fact, I would go so far as to argue that all of the great advances do not come from those who are part of the mainstream, from those who are part of the establishment, because the establishment brings with it a certain level of conformity. It brings with it a certain level of soulless... I'm searching for the right word. Of soulless acquiescence in what is, rather than what could be, rather than what might be, rather than what should be. And this is the weakness of the establishment. But this is how the battlements can be stormed. This is how the fortress can be taken. And this is how you will plant your flag on that spire, as I've said earlier. So my point, as I've said at the beginning, don't be afraid to step outside your lane. Don't be afraid to move out from the strictures that have been placed on you. And once you do that, you will truly know the meaning of freedom. That will conclude our podcast for tonight. I'm Quintus Curtius. Good night.